This is Edge Cases. I'm Andrew Pontius. And I'm Wolf French. And what's our topic this week, Wolf? Prototype-based programming. Uh-huh. So this was the the other favorite thing? The o- other favorite thing, right. The other one that I got thing. so cruelly cut off of. Yes, yes. We had some, we had some uh, criticism of that. So, uh, <laughs> uh, so you're going to take the whole episode on that this time. Pretty much. It might be a short episode, but uh, I do have a screen full of notes, so we'll see. <laughs> yeah. You always have a screen full of notes. <laughs> All right, so let's get to some follow-up real quick about the iCloud episode last week. Mm-hmm. Um, a friend of mine, Zach Dreyer, pointed out that there is a new uh, repository uh, called ICA Cloud, iCloud Simplified, by Drew McCormick. Oh, he does uh, good stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah. Do you follow his blog? He's got mental faculty something. I do subscribe to him, but like I yeah. said, my I'm in bad situation with my yeah, yeah. currently. Um, so it's it's a really small um, repository at the moment, uh, just two files .h and a .m file. And while I'm not sure I would put it into my projects directly, there's a lot of good stuff in there that I didn't have in my sample project. Um, he's got an operation queue for the file operations, so that they're serialized, so that they're not taking up all your your threads. He has timeout logic. Um, so, so there's some good stuff there that I would definitely plunder for my own code and definitely have a look at. Uh, and so, you know, anyone who's been following, uh, my blog post and using my code might also want to look at this as well. Mm-hmm. And the second was when I was looking around at the, the iCloud stuff, I did find a webpage called using Dropbox with Stevens Creek software, iOS apps. Now Stevens Creek, uh, software is just a, a iOS software company. Actually they do, I think they do apps for, for other platforms as well. And so I'm going to put a link to this in the show notes as well. It was kind of interesting because they said, um, you know, they have sort of a list of things that is sort of better about Dropbox than iCloud, not just for developers, but also for users. Um, one of them being that you can get at your files on other platforms. But they do sort of emphasize at one point in the, in the page that interacting with Dropbox is also significantly easier for our apps. Um, so I thought that was, that was interesting to see sort of another company kind of putting that argument forward. Uh, really, for the sake of you know letting its users know, well, here's why we're not doing doing iCloud. Mm-hmm. So, so that's it for me. Okay, then I'll get started. So, as I mentioned before, uh, in episode seventy five, a few of my favorite things, I was I was had a list of three things I want to talk about, and because I'm right. verbose, I got hopelessly excited, and does end up talking about the first two things. So, the third thing, which fit in pretty well with the other topics, and that's why I included. It, uh, was prototype based programming, and um, but so I'll I'll try to do it justice here. Um, <clears throat> so in 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 Objective C, uh, classes are if you if you to excuse the term, it's their their first class objects. Um, that is, you, you can send messages to classes to classes themselves in Objective C. So, in, commonly in Objective C, the most, probably the most common message that you'll send to a class is the alloc message. So, where you you walk up to a class, you say, "I would like an instance of you." Right. Uh, another common, probably the probably the we actually don't message classes that often. So, it's pretty much alloc, and and then well, I would speak say, "Speak for yourself." Oh, <laughs> you you you. You have other messages other than Alec? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm basically using the class as a utility collection. Oh, really? Of methods, I'll I'll put things which things which don't need an instance. Mm-hmm. I will often put on the class to make sure it's clear that um, 
that that they don't need state for the for for uh, the code that's that's calling them. That is interesting. Um, that's I would say that tends to be kind of more of a kind of a Java type thing to do. Although Java, <laughs> I have done Java development. <laughs> well, Java unfortunately has the uh, significant limitation that uh, they they call them static methods weirdly in Java, which is not what they call them in C or C. Right. But um, those can't be inherited or overridden. Right. And so, but and, in Dexter, you can't. Yeah, yeah. And I guess we we uh, and. So the common case is that we use alloc, and uh, I and then we also use class, where you actually you can't just say you know is object is, is kind of ns window. You have to say ns window class. So often we'll use class, but apparently you actually use it for for utility methods that don't need instance. Don't don't let me derail you, but <laughs> uh, too late. And I, think, I guess we also use it for like uh, convenience constructors. And that I think that is is becoming less prevalent with Arc, maybe because of the, the less right. of the need to auto release things. But yep. so I, I consider that's probably a good thing. It's um, funny how Arc is just now full of alloc init methods all over the place. Yep, yep, yeah. So you're not a fan of using the new? I just it still feels weird. Enough that no, I haven't. I don't use it everywhere. Mm, okay, uh, I, I I find myself using it. Although I know Schwa really has a vendetta against people who use it, so maybe that's all the more reason to to do that. <laughs> um, so we so you can send messages to classes in Jaxi, and we use that pretty extensively. And so, uh, what's inter- interesting thing though is that uh, because you can send messages to it, so what. You have these are really instances that because you can message instances in in Objective C, so that's kind of you have some place you can send a message. And so, what is an instance of a class? I mean, it's kind of weird because we talk about object like object instances, but classes are instances too. And as a matter of fact, they're kind of they're kind of weird because they're 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 basically globals or singletons. Uh, because if you right. talk about NS window, there's only one going to be one NS window class, regardless of how you do things. Um, so, when you being able to send a message to things in Objective C, that entails at uh, the technical level that uh, it has to have an an ISA uh, member uh, instance variable, and so that means classes in Objective C have an ISA pointer in them as well. So the question is, what is that a pointer to? And that turns out to be a pointer to a meta class, because you already have classes, but you want to be able to treat them, you want to be able to send the messages, and that means that you need that as a pointer, so you need this thing that's above classes, and you have meta classes, and that is, this solves that problem. Well, then, what happens if you want to send messages to the meta class? (laughs) (laughs) And unfortunately, it is not turtles all the way down. Um, it pretty much draw the line at that frivolity right there. And uh, how Objective-C gets around it. I believe in uh, modern small talk implementations, there's yet another layer going on there. And in Ruby, they have <laughs> other things going on there. But in Objective-C land, uh, we, have, uh, we, we basically say, okay, now you have the C API. <laughs> We're going to put an end to this right. craziness. We're yeah. much more sensible in in C land. <laughs> yeah, so it's uh, so that's how you just work around this problem. So if you want to add uh, methods to a class at a runtime, you end up using the C API to do that because um, 
you have these this kind of this philosophical problem. So you you have to use the C APIs to add methods to your meta classes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Have you done this? Oh yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, there's <laughs> of course you have. <laughs> there's um. What, let's see. I think I wrote this down. Hang on. There's something in Objective C called. No, I guess I didn't actually put in my notes, but um, there's when you when you create a new class at runtime you, in Objective C, um, you don't create you don't just create the class. You actually have to create what's known as a class pair. That is, you create the class and you create the meta class at the same time, and so they they kind of go hand in glove type thing. And so if <clears throat> so. That uh, solves the kind of the philosophical problem, and then there's this other. In, so you have classes, and you have instances, and classes aren't enough. So you have to have meta classes. You have meta classes, you have classes, you have instances, and like I said, small talk, modern smart, small talk, and Ruby, and even more things to this type of stuff. Um, in but there's this there's this uh, I don't know what to call it a paradigm, I guess, uh, of programming. That uh, f- called prototype based programming, which is, to my mind, it's it's uh, it's not only it's like better in every conceivable way. That not only isn't simpler, it's more powerful, and I think it's just pretty much great overall. And it's kind of I think our industry kind of made a misstep going down the. It's this is the classical route, and I guess I emphasize the class in classical. But that'd be kind of punish, and I don't do that, so we'll ignore that. No, of course, <laughs> never, never, never. So when you think about uh, prototypes, so the idea here is that pro- you have uh, you only have instances. You don't have classes. You don't have meta classes. You just have instances. And so you can think of so if you if you think of um, objects as like glorified dictionaries. Then you could say, well, that won't work because then you just have rampant duplication or something like that. So there is this thing called prototypical inheritance, that is, that, and that's what you use to structure uh, structure your code and how to reuse code. And how that works is that uh, imagine this like uh, you know objects as glorified dictionaries. We have uh, this is variables and methods in there. And uh, let's say you have something like say NS window. Which is kind of it's kind of a concrete thing to talk about because you can you see Windows on the screen you know how this should operate so I like to kind of use that as examples. So, uh, what you say? Well, I have a bunch of methods that all these windows share. If I just have you know, if I have uh, this you know bunch of dictionaries hanging around, they uh, they have these common traits. So the idea here is that. Um, that different prototypical languages implemented in, in different ways with, with variance in details. But the essential idea is that when you, if I were to create, say, a new NS window, right now, Objective C, I have to allocate, I have to init it with its special long designate initializer that has some weird constants in it. But that's off the point. Um, with, <coughs> so I. With a prototype-based system, is that I would actually walk up to the NS window instance and I would create a clone of it, and the act of creating a clone of it would would give me a new object, a new instance that is basically kind of an empty, 
dictionary, except one of the slots in the dictionary, one of the key values there, would be some sort of proto prototype uh, pointer back to the original NS window that I cloned from. So the idea here is that um, the object is pretty much empty, uh, but all the methods. So if I were to you know send a message to it, and it was like say uh, retitle window, that would end up. It would first look at the new window I just cloned, and it would say you know it would look for the method there, and if it's not there, then it would go up the prototype chain, the point prototype back pointers to the original NS window. And then it would find the method implementation and it would fire it. So in that way, it's kind of like uh, subclasses in that uh, if you have you know, my window, that subclass is NS window, but you're not overriding the set title method. It, in a similar way, it goes up the chain, looks for the method implementation. And, um, and, like, and just like uh, NS window is a, is a subclass of NS object, uh, same thing with that you can go very much deep, uh, much deeper down the chain, um, and so when I s- say that there's a, a bunch of advantages to this, and where I think the industry kind of did misstep, is that really I don't think there's any need for classes, and um, for me it's almost it's really kind of a throwback to and kind of an accident of how computers are structured today is that to, I think we're kind of a slave to the process model. We have this kind of deep ingrained idea that our program starts and our program stops. And there's, you know, there's no life after death. That, that's, that's, that's all we got. Whereas uh, that's why I think this topic worked pretty well with uh, episode 75, where I was talking about image-based environments. Where it's, it's, it's that Xcode blueprint thing again, that we like to think in classes because we think a lot about object construction because that's a lot of what we do. Uh, when you when you reboot the universe every time, you have to create a lot of stuff. So we tend to think of it in terms of templates where you have to stamp out ten thousand objects in order to get anything done. And when you think of something where a process is just a bunch of objects that goes to sleep and then is resuscitated when your app starts up, starts up again, this idea of having to create tons and tons and tons of objects just to get anything done, um, that's, that, and that's you know, may, maybe under the hood that still needs to be done, but it's, that is really implementation detail. And it's more, uh, I think we, we would do better to kind of focus on these longer living objects. And if you once you start realizing that you have to don't have to just create tons of objects to get work done, you can start to think about them as more of assembling things that have long lives. And so, Walter R. Smith, who's uh, the principal author of Newton Script, which I'll talk a little bit more, has this great paper call, called uh, titled "It was for Upsilon 1995." titled Using a Prototype-Based Language for User Interface, the Newton Project's Experience, where he goes on to this rave about using prototypical objects, uh, object, prototype-based pro- programming. And he has this great quote from the paper, and it's he talks about um, 
the benefits of using prototypical objects. And he says, it is more concrete because programming consists of modifying objects directly rather than modifying classes to produce an indirect effect on objects. The process is like assembling a bicycle instead of writing the assembly manual for a bicycle. And so I think that eventually uh, – the new one was interesting because um, there's actually a good write-up on this on Wikipedia, which I'll link to. But uh, the new was interesting because it – you know, it had very little memory, but that memory was pr- was persistent, and I mean, it was battery back, so I suppose you could lose it that way. But the idea is that you know, when you, uh, yeah, that it would sleep in between. You wouldn't like shut off your Newton; that it would just go to sleep, and it would all st- stay in memory. So the idea here is that you ha- basically had a persistent object store, which is basically the kind of the, the image based. Uh, development environments I was talking about, kind of the live objects type stuff. And it turns out that the prototypical objects fit with a persistent object store store like we like you'd have in these live objects, live development objects type stuff. In a much better way than the classical systems, where you are kind of focused on creating templates to stamp out a bunch of objects in the thousands. And instead you uh, kind of focus on uh, working on these persistent objects. And so this paper goes on to to say um, how in class-based programming, it's only classes that can define behavior. But the, the tragedy here is that user interfaces are almost entirely defined by unique objects. When you look at user interface, you have... Everything on there varies in appearance. It, it, vary, it varies in the data that's, that it either either showing or represents or controls. And it varies in behavior. And that's why things like Interface Builder is, is good for us because we do have this problem where you, know, you lay out even a simple panel, like a login panel. You have labels and you have text fields and you have buttons and you have uh, you know, status uh, li- labels that tell you that your password is incorrect. And these all have separate behaviors. But because we are working in a class-based environment... Um, we we have to kind of use data to kind of leverage to kind of deal with all this complexity. We can't is we can't is hard for us to um, just write a method to do things we want. So we try to put as much as we can into data, which isn't necessarily a bad idea because I do prefer typically data over imperative type stuff. But it's it's a crutch because it turns out classes have a very high cognitive load. And especially with Objective C's requirement for separate header and source files, every class is just like, oh man, I got to write another class for this. So this is this is uh, it really works against the grain against user interfaces. If users can create a you know prototype based systems, you know, basically thrive with unique objects. That's what they're there to do. Is that all these objects are unique with just back pointers with to common implementations? Yeah, so, just to jump in for a second here. Sure. The- I think this might be one of the reasons why, for example, view controller um, um, methods and, and class implementations are so long is because you, people don't want to make a huge ton of new classes for all of the custom behavior. Yeah, yeah. So they link it all into their view controller, and that makes the view controller extremely long. Mm-hmm. And that is also actually one reason, um, I think we might have talked about this, why the bubble interface seems a little less workable for Objective-C because all of those little bubbles that you saw in your presentation that we saw in the, in the, in the, the video, 
require your methods to be, you know, 10 to 20 lines long. Mm-hmm. And most view controller methods are much longer than that. Hmm. Um, okay. So it's, you know, but I think it's true. I think it's because we're trying to cram everything into the very few classes because classes are so, as you said, a high, high cognitive load to make lots of classes. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. I, I I don't think you saw the video before I talked about the episode. You must have no. caught it afterwards, yes. I did. And so I don't think we talked about that that take on it where um, you're right. I mean, in just in Cocoa programming in general, it's like we, we tend to kind of have these focused areas where things tend to accumulate. Like in the old school Cocoa Mac apps, uh, really it's the app delegate that tends app to be the target right. mm-hmm. for this type of stuff. Uh, it's a little bit better on the iPhone and you know, iOS, where view controllers kind of rule the day. But you're right; those tend to be kind of magnets for this type of stuff. Because God, you don't want to have to write another class for this type of stuff. Yeah. Um, and then visual editors like Interface Builder. Um, interesting thing is that you can't subclass with them, right? So you have to go back to your uh, textual into your textual. Uh, editor Xcode, which can grant their integrate nowadays. But. You used to be able to prototype. Remember that? Oh. That you could actually make a class declaration, kind of, and then put methods in it and then export it. Huh. Remember that? Do yeah, you remember that? Yeah, yeah. Now that you mention it, I think it's, it's pretty much gone, but Yeah, yeah. But because because what you were doing was you were you were doing the thing in interface booter where you just connected, you know, outlets and everything else. Mm-hmm. In this little list of things, right. you were just doing it without a class backing it yet. Right, right, and you could have, you had a little plus button there where you could actually add. You just add stuff to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't remember the export functionality though. I, I thought that was just more for when you knew the the object is around and maybe you're doing something crazy with, let's say, like no, biopsy or something. You could make a whole class. You could make the class that you needed mm-hmm. as like your view controller or whatever you wanted to call it. But then once you exported it, if you added anything new, then it had to do this weird diff that it almost never got right. <laughs> Okay. So you know you had you basically had your one shot of making a new class with it, and then after you did that, then you had to go back and and basically make everything in code. Then mm-hmm. interesting. But it was really interface builder was a really nice prototyping um, um, machine at one point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. Um. So, so prototypical objects. So uh, there's this. Uh, there was a, a good Stack Overflow question about uh, the benefits of prototypical inheritance over classical inheritance. And Adit M. Shah uh, wrote a, a few things that it has advantage of. And uh, I'll, I'll kind of steal his outline here. The, he, so prototypical objects it can do everything that classical objects can do. Um, except they're simpler. Uh, the, there, there are no meta classes. Now, granted, um, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe... Uh, some listeners of the audi- uh, of our audience here actually n- never even knew about meta classes because this is a kind of a level of detail that if you kind of color within the lines you probably don't run into very often. Um, the but that said, uh, I still think that it, classes have the entire problem of you know being these kind of heavyweight solutions to uh, that don't fit user interface design very well at all and don't fit. Uh, the type of stuff we're doing in Interface Builder, I think we could do a lot better. And so uh, it's a much more orthogonal model model that matches uh, in- interface uh, building. And, and, and so <clears throat> classes just kind of add kind of this, this sludge, this intellectual sludge that we don't really <laughs> actually need. <laughs> um, 
And the thing is, like, it's not. This is the thing that really kind of blew my mind. I went to there's this. Uh, the ACM has this conference called the History of Programming Languages, and it's pretty. It's a really awesome conference, and uh, they have this. This is for the acronym for it is Hopple. And I, I would have the. They have this conference once a, a decade, about. And I was fortunate enough to go to the one. I think it was in 2007. So it's it's coming up. Maybe it's 2006, something like that. It's it's coming up. So I'll I'll probably be there at Hopple Four if I see any of you guys there. But uh, David Ungar and Randall B. Smith talked about uh, self, the programming language, which is probably which I, I actually is the granddaddy of prototypical systems. And their their kind of tagline is the power of simplicity. And self for me was like I knew about self before that. I was actually pretty excited about self. That's one of the reasons I attended uh, the conference in the first place. But it's one of the, it's one of those very rare things where I got with with their presentation that I got to see that not only was prototypical inheritance prototype based programming simpler than classical programming, but it was also more powerful. And so things like. Um, um, the multiple inheritance problem, where you have the the uh, diamond problem, that's where you have a a base class, um, and then you have two separate subclasses of that one, and then you multiple inherit inherit from both those subclasses. Yep. Mm-hmm. There's a problem there that what methods go with what, and and different languages have different solutions to this, and. What and how self and prototypical uh, languages deal with this is that, uh, well, first off, not all of them support multiple inheritance. Uh, Prototypical languages like JavaScript, for example, only have uh, a single prototype backpointer. But you can do object composition even in those languages where you basically kind of pick and choose the methods and how you want to build them. So you can. Uh, and how you deal with this is as kind of is a technology called or paradigm called traits, which tends to be you can think of it as basically an interface mixed with implement uh, that also carries the implementation, but are composable. And this is one of the big limiting factors of Objective C is that um, they went with the single inheritance model, and I don't blame them because multiple inheritance is pretty tricky, but with prototypical inheritance, I think you can get kind of the best of both worlds, that you can have something that's highly composable, and but very simple. And a good example, uh, the, one of the problems with having also single inheritance is that uh, you, have, you need to end up push, pushing methods up the class hierarchy so, you can, so they can reach across enough, uh, enough other classes. Yep. Mm-hmm. And a good, good example with that in Objective-C, I feel, is NS Responder. That if, if you look at most of the implementations of that, that most in, at least on the Mac, that's kind of beep, <laughs> right? It's like they, they're this kind of fish out of water because you end up needing them kind of, they're cross-cutting concerns across a bunch of different visual objects. Um, but because they're cross-cutting, they, they, it needs to be above even NSView, and right. so it's uh, so this is how they kind of like hack that in there. And you have things like, you know, categories. And maybe they could have had like an NS responder category on on NS object or something like that. 
but really traits is, uh, is a better, better kind of use for that in interfaces. And granted, uh, uh, Objective-C does have protocols, but um, trace is a lot more powerful, especially when you can get, when you can bring along implementations along for the ride, which trace allow you to do. Um, and one of the things that uh, kind of a, you might think it would be a knock against prototypical languages is that um, they sound kind of slow because when you go to do a method dispatch on something, uh, you think, well, you have to follow this chain of things. Up, you have to run up the chain to find the actual method implementation. And practically, that isn't really an issue. Um, it was also mentioned at Hopple 3 that it turned out that uh, self, because it was originally prototypical, and they they did a bunch of optimization work through the years that they worked on this. And they were at, uh, David and Randall were at Sun at the time. And they they ended up creating this environment that was actually very similar to kind of the code bubbles type thing where you had a canvas and you had a direct mani uh, manipulation of objects. But um, they did some great optimization work there that ended up being used in, in the great uh, JavaScript engine wars uh, those same optimization techniques end up being used to speed up JavaScript. And what end up happening is that self, which is kind of a kind of a small talk derivative, that um, it end up becoming uh, they ha they actually shipped a small talk implementation based on self, and it end up being fast the fastest small talk implementation for a time. Well. And a lot of it had to do with the runtime profiling and uh, what what current JavaScript engines do is that they actually end up creating essentially runtime classes that they analyze the code, they trace them, and they figure out that uh, when they you don't need the dynamicism. And it's based right. on your actual usage. And so they create classes of runtime, kind of like a just-in-time compiler type thing. <laughs> Man. That just, I mean, the fact that you need to do this just shows, I think, how, how crazy JavaScript is, for <laughs> sure. Well, yes, you're not going to get me. I, I think I just recently retweeted some crazy JavaScript thing. I mean, this is this. I, th I think there's even websites devoted to crazy. I mean, a lot of it has to do with like variable scoping type stuff. That's really easy to get screwed up in JavaScript. But some of it is just really whacked out of score. But and this stuff is not um, unfamiliar to me from having talked with the runtime guys at Apple about mm -hmm. Objective C. I mean, the they really you know when they try to improve the runtime engine for Objective C, they have a lot of this stuff in mind as well. They can't get rid of the dynamism of Objective C at this point, and they're not—they're not doing that, at least that I'm, I'm aware of. Mm -hmm. But they're definitely always looking for places underneath the hood where they can, you know, take out, you know, they can take shortcuts, exactly like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, uh, Greg Parker has uh, yeah. just did his um, his uh, obviously message sent through the years. Uh, I don't. Let's see if I can actually write that down so I be sure to link to it. Uh, Greg Parker and uh, kind of tracing the and you know the, these you know you you count cycles in obc message send because man that's used a lot and that right. makes a big difference. Um, yeah, and and then there's um, I know that they do some sort of like like v table magic uh, nowadays for common like retain and. Uh, release at least this is probably still even the arc days. Right, they're not they're not methods anymore. Right, as far as I'm aware. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's all sorts of 
real kind of techniques you can throw at that. And what's interesting is that uh, Greg Parker has also mentioned on Twitter before that uh, they actually were looking at doing something like traits for with Objective C. And uh, there is a, oh, really? a yeah mm-hmm. yeah there's and uh, there turns out to be some sort of. Uh, this is really the wrong phrasing for it, but I don't, don't know how to put it. But there's basically a kind of sort of philosophical clash with the current implementation that is kind of unresol- unresolvable. So they had to pretty much give up on that. But yeah, yeah they that, seri- that's surprising. Yeah, they seriously looked at traits for implementing. And I mean, if if they were if Apple was really going to do traits, uh, Greg Parker wouldn't be tweeting about it. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's definitely something that they would lo- they'd love to bomb us with that dub dub. Um, so. <clears throat> Uh, and we already talked a little bit about the various implementations of prototypical systems. So self was the granddaddy of them all. And uh, there's actually a new release of self that just came out, uh, four, uh, version 4.5. And I should also put that in show notes so I don't forget. Uh, self blog. And uh, if you go to, I believe it's selflanguage.org, uh, you can check that out. Um, it looks weird. It's... Um, it was always kind of a, a experimental kind of environment, but it's, it's and it, it will definitely require some study and wrapping your head around. But it's really the treasure trove of, of fantastic information there, uh, and a new way of looking at things. But far more common are other things. Uh, I also mentioned Newton script, which was the the language that Apple invented for the Newton. Um, and like I said, Walter R. Smith was seems to be the principal inventor there, and the. He also uh, wrote this paper called Self and the Origins of Newtonscript, circa 1994, which I'll also link to. And uh, he called Self audacious simplicity, which I have to uh, agree with. Um, Newtonscript had some... uh, It didn't do everything that Self did. Um, They had some uh, implementation efficiency details that took different routes, but I still think it's a beautiful language and it's really kind of a shame that it didn't catch on more. Um, and so Newscript didn't, you know, didn't catch the world on fire and Self didn't catch the world on fire. But of course, JavaScript pretty much has, as much as we like to knock it, uh, it, it is probably, it won't, it definitely is the, the most widespread prototypical language in use today. And uh, jobs, every JavaScript object has a a underscore underscore prototype underscore underscore uh, slot in it, or, or if we want to be brief about it, we can just call it the Dunder prototype. Oh, right. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, the net uh, batch letter, batch letter. Uh, he's coined the term Dunder for to be shorthand for double underscore. So. Um, that uh, tends to be kind of a more Pythonic type stuff, but uh, it, that at least that much Python got into JavaScript that you using that as that slot. So, and it works pretty much exactly the same in the way it's uh, that NewScript does. That you have a back pointer to another instance that you can put common tri- common methods and common data in there, and like NewScript. You have this idea that, um, let's say, um, you have a. Uh, the, we're using the example of a title in the window, right? So that would be a string, and if you set the title of the window, is that it 
the NS window there doesn't, if we had some sort of magical prototype NS window, that doesn't have the the slot in it for the window. It's it ends up being written to the clone, and that's is kind of weird. It's um, it ends up being that um, you when you assign it to to an uh, a variable to a field, a, a, I don't know really what to call them, um, in a JavaScript object, it gets written to the closest object that's to you. And this is what's known as differential inheritance. So if the NS window, as it were, had a title instance variable, then all the objects would get it. So the idea is that the NS window itself doesn't have that variable because that would be shared by all windows and you couldn't have windows that have their own titles. So instead, every, every instance, uh, every uh, uh, child of, NS, of the, NS, uh, the theoretical prototypical NS window would have its title instance variable that would have its unique title. So that's and self is a little bit more detailed that you can have that you can have these back pointers across a bunch of different fields, um, but and I actually prefer the JavaScript and NuneScript uh, way how they do things. And uh, another language that we definitely could do an entire episode on is I/O, um, which I'm absolutely in love with have have been for a long time. But it also is very influenced by self and NuneScript. And it takes an interesting tact, that, an interesting extension, that instead of having this prototype back pointer to a single instance, it actually has essentially an array, a protos attribute array that can point to multiple instances. And the idea here is that it does a depth-first recursive, recursive search when it goes searching for these implementation. <laughs> so this is sure. <laughs> so this actually fits in very well with the traits kind of idea of how you can compose uh, an object uh, from kind of cobble up what you want to get some work done, and uh, especially once you have essentially kind of the, the object version of a REPL uh, or the read eval print loop, but imagine maybe something more visual, like the Smalltalk class browser, which we mentioned before, is that you, you can definitely start to think about, well, I have this object, and it should do this, and it should do that, and it should do, do this. And you just start kind of like assembling your bicycle, right? You start pulling together different, you know, different instances and lining them up, and that will do a lot of the work for you right there. Uh, another interesting thing about I.O. is that it has no globals, and the root object in the I.O. namespace is called the lobby, which I think is just a fantastic name. The idea that <laughs> that your your essentially your process is just like this big hotel where that's storing a bunch of different objects at different addresses, which you already kind of used to think about memory. But the you know you have this we all share the lobby and that's where you can go and kind of the root of the object graph where you can find all the all the rest of the hotel you need to get to that you just you just go to the lobby and take the elevator to where you need to go and uh, for those of you who know JavaScript at home uh, IO's lobby is similar to Window in JavaScript where you can you can hang globals off there so there's JavaScript pretty much just has one global window you can have multiple globals but to, Window is the global and you can hang, hang things off there if you want to want to do want to uh, have something that's globalish and I think actually there's some scoping rules there that if you if you like talk about you know my foo or something like that that it will and, and it can't find anywhere else and inherently will look at window dot my foo 
I think there's something like that. JavaScript, like like I mentioned, is is in its own office and own world, weird world. Um, but I, yeah, I think I, I'm already at 40 minutes here, so I'll skip. I'll just call it here because <laughs> I could just keep on going on this. But um, is well, it? Can you give a sense of what what else you would have to talk about? Um, it was more kind of. Uh, I need to really say that the. Uh, Walter Smith's uh, paper about uh, using a prototype-based language for user interface, it's like, I could, this entire episode could me just be reading his paper <laughs> into, the, into my microphone, because it is really, a, a, it really walks you through kind of the, it makes plain the disadvantages that we suffer with the classical uh, programming, uh, especially with, with uh, user interface that we have to write day in and day out. It's it's really not a good fit, and uh, so I would I, I'll put a link in the show notes here. But so we can we can read that it the d- whole thing. D- yeah. Definitely worth reading. And even if you're not interested in Unescript at all or anything like that, at least it hopefully will give you that seed of discontent for classical classical <laughs> programming. That that seed of discontent, which you can then do nothing about. For the rest <laughs> of your life. No, no, no. It's, I mean, you you could embrace JavaScript and have it today. I could. <laughs> uh, it's interesting because I, I mean, I used to use JavaScript myself, mm-hmm. um, not for anything too deep. And I think I, I don't remember ever having to deal intellectually with all of these issues with the fact that it was a prototyping language rather than a, a, a class-based inheritance language. Um, there are, you know, the way you use it doesn't necessarily the way you use it for simple things in the browser. You don't necessarily need to be thinking through all of this stuff. To and, use it in and, my mind. Yeah, uh, that actually is exactly correct. And Brendan Ike, when he wrote JavaScript, he made it look like Java purposely, and so right. you don't you don't go off and and clone objects to create new instances. Uh, you actually say new window. Or, uh, new window is a bad example, but you know, uh, and that right. actually is new, problematic. New whatever. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. that's problematic because uh, it actually really confuses things because it looks like a classical language, <laughs> even though it's not. Even though it's not. Mm-hmm. Yes, and the other thing that I remember uh, hearing about, and this was after I stopped using JavaScript, was how um, you know that so many people built these languages, built these systems on top of JavaScript to give it a class system mm-hmm. because it didn't really have one already. So, so all these things, which we're trying to make it look like, um, like J, um, dot J, right. What's oh, what are you talking cappuccino. about? Yeah. Cappuccino. Right. Right. Which you had an episode about, so I we'll did? put that in the show notes too. You know, they were trying to make it into objective J. They were trying to make it into a language that looked a lot more like objective C. Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, they had to layer on their own that's class-based right. system mm-hmm. so that it would be class-based. Mm-hmm. And it's funny to hear you, you know, you t- at that point you talked about Objective J and you really liked it. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming you still do. I do. But it's a very different approach to take than saying, well, you should dig into the prototype-based aspects of JavaScript because that's better than Objective-C. Well, would, you say, would you say your, your opinion has changed since that episode? Oh, no, no. I still am a big fan of, of Cappuccino and Objective-J. Yeah. Um, but two things here. Uh, number one, that um, it's pretty easy to layer a classical system onto the prototypical system yep. because you know it's more stuff right uh it's you can't go the reverse like you can't add you can't add a prototypical system to a classical system <laughs> right um it, that's because like it's it's more of like this this basic building blocks prototypical system yeah and second, um, Cappuccino wins big time because it was able to leverage 
all the de- all the designs and all the doc- uh, documentation yep. of the current mm-hmm. Coco system. Uh, right. So that was so that was actually a really small price to pay for all the bounty they got for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if that's it, yeah. Um, so we'll see you next time. <laughs>